Hi Oasis, um, I am Jaina. I am the worship pastor here at Oasis and I have struggled with mental health, um, anxiety and depression specifically for all my life. And growing up I didn't really realize that that was the case. Nobody talked about mental health and so I didn't even realize that that was a reality for me. It wasn't until I was a college student and I took a gen psych class in college that I even began to have language or understanding of why I did the things that, did, that I did or how I functioned the way that I did and how mental health was significant in that. Um, but even though I began to recognize that in my life, I had this problem where I just didn't really want to deal with it. I didn't want to seek help um, in the ways that you should. And so I kind of just went on with life and I came here um, to be your pastor. And then in 2020, um, that was a hard year, hard season for everybody in the midst of COVID kind of shutting down the world. But for somebody who was already struggling with mental health, it felt like it just kind of compacted on what was already happening. Um, because all the things in my life that brought me joy, that gave me life, excitement, kind of were taken away for a season. Um, that we weren't meeting every single week for Oasis, or I wasn't meeting with my high school and middle school students. And the school year just ended abruptly, and there were a lot of goodbyes that never even really got to happen um, because of where that was at, and that was really hard. Um, and so, kind of throughout the year of 2020, I just found my mental health continuing to get worse, my anxiety to build, my depression to continue to kind of overtake. Um, and in 2021, at the beginning of the year, I kind of got into a place where I just was like, I don't really want to live anymore. Um, like it would just be way easier to not wake up in the morning. Existing just felt really, really hard. And I spent a lot of my time, wasted a lot of my time sleeping or avoiding life in general. Um, and I got to this place where I was just like, I can't keep living like this. Um, and then something really crucial that I think God did on purpose happened. And so every few months around here at the church, we have these meetings with our direct superior, our bosses, and they're just kind of check-ins to see how life's going, how ministry is going. Um, they're very casual kind of settings. And I happened to have one coming up in the spring of 2021. And my boss and I sat down and I had kind of gotten to this place where I was like, I can't keep living this way. Um, it's not sustainable. I'm not thriving. I'm not living. And he simply asked the question of, how are you? And in a moment, I lost all of the strongholds I'd been trying to hold on to. The dam was broken. The water began to flow. Every hurt, insecurity, fear, shame, guilt uh, began to come out because I was a pastor. I was doing ministry. I was supposed to have all of this figured out. I would, shouldn't have been struggling with this. I'd done pastoral like, counseling and care classes. I knew all the things I was supposed to say, all the things I was supposed to do but nothing was working and I couldn't pull myself out of this place that I was in. And he listened and he heard me and he said the best thing that anyone's ever said to me and it was that you need to make an appointment with your doctor and you need to figure this out and I'm gonna check in on you next week to make sure you've done that. Um, and it was the best thing that he's ever done, that anyone's ever done for me because for years I had been trying to fix a software issue. I'd been trying to be in the Word more, to pray more, uh, to rethink um, or reshape my thought patterns, but nothing was working. And I had a hardware issue that I needed to address. And so I started taking medication, and it really was mind-blowing for me to realize that I could experience life in a completely different way. Like, I hadn't realized how bad the anxiety and the depression was until I started taking the medication and began to realize I can function as a human being 
completely differently than I ever have in my entire life. And so that has been an incredible healing process for me. Um, but something else that I've learned in the midst of that over the last year of walking through that is that hardware issues and software issues aren't always separate from each other, that a lot of the time they can play together. And so even though the biggest problem for me was a hardware issue that I needed to address with the hardware solution, with the biological means of medication to help my body to function the way that it was supposed to, years of unhealthy patterns and struggling with this had built up habits and thought patterns and worldviews in my life that weren't just going to go away because my brain started to function the way it was supposed to. And so the journey that I feel like I've been on over the last nine months to a year is addressing some of those thought patterns, addressing some of those software issues that still exist um, to continue to pursue healing, that I have to rewire and reshape the way that my brain functions and address habits in my life that became habits out of a place of unhealth that I have to rework on. And so my encouragement for maybe somebody in the midst of struggling with mental health is to realize that you're not alone. Seek the help that you need. Address that maybe you have a hardware issue. Like, seek that path. Don't just write it off. Um, but also take into account the fact that software issues play a big part, even if hardware is still there. Um, and so I feel like I'm still on a journey of finding a healthy mental health pattern of life and getting there. And so um, my encouragement is just to reach out for help. Be okay to invite people into that. Um, and seek whatever means of healing that you need. There you go. <laughs> hey guys, um, can we just give a round of applause? Not even just for Jay, like the vulnerability of it, like just praising Jesus um, for just because he's good. And Jane just explained a lot of what was a part of what I wanted to talk through in this idea of even just mental health, and, and I'm addressing depression tonight better than I could explain it. Uh, and, and the reality of software and hardware isn't as simple as just separating the two. Sometimes they're combined. And a lot of what we're addressing in this series, uh, Software Update, is recognizing that the Bible, uh, because it's beautiful and given to us by a good father, addresses some of these things that we experience. And so tonight, it's no different. We're going to go through uh, specifically a psalm in scripture that I think addresses, not even just addresses, but helps us maybe understand and maybe put words to and maybe give us an action step in the midst of experiencing depression. And depression is one of those things that honestly is like, it's kind of hard to define. Um, there's a medical definition, there's, there's a dictionary definitions, there's Christian definitions. Um, but what I've recognized and seen in depression in my own life and the people I love and around me, both in and outside of the church, is that the symptoms seem to be similar. And so some symptoms, I'm just going to uh, reel off. This is what it feels like, the experience of what depression could bring. Feeling sad or having a depressed mood. I love using the word depressed mood to define depression. Uh, loss of interest or pleasure in activities once enjoyed. Changes in appetite, weight loss or gain unrelated to dieting. Trouble sleeping or sleeping too much. Loss of energy or increased fatigue. Feeling worthless or guilty. Difficulty thinking, concentrating, or making decisions. Thoughts of death or suicide. My wife has, uh, has diagnosed medical anxiety. And she's been taking medication for that for years, but something happened that was just different in our life and in our marriage. Uh, for every one of our kids, we have three children, 
she has gone through a bout of depression. And it's lasted anywhere from five to like 11 weeks. And it's called postpartum depression. And it's actually not that uncommon in most women um, who experience uh, having a child because apparently there's something about birth that might be a traumatic event. I'm glad someone laughed at that. That's supposed to be a little like, like this is just real. I, I think I've, I've used the analogy of birth in a ton of sermons and I love it. Like it's a super messy process. Believe me, I've been at all three. Um, but at the end, is something really, really beautiful. But in that, there's something like weirdly traumatic. Like life changes dramatically. And so, yeah, like we knew she was pregnant, she was going through it. And then we, I think she, just because she's in the medical field, understood that postpartum depression is a thing. But like, man, I can't, I, like, I'm not going to go through that. Like I won't experience that. And she did. And I asked her like, over this last week, like how would you define what you were experiencing going through? And this is what she said. She said, in moments when she was going through depression, in depression, when it was at its peak or even at its low, there was always a certain level of sad. She said, I could never get happy, but could always get more sad. Like, that's depression and despair. Like, that, that is just real darkness. Um, what's beautiful about the Bible, and, and even what we're trying to jet address here, is we'll admit time and time again, like, I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist, I'm not, like, uh, obviously a doctor, Um, I'm a professional, in some ways, uh, of being a pastor, like, I've been called to minister, and to shepherd, and to share the word of God, and even in that, like, I don't know close, like, I do not know everything, like, you spend a couple hours with me, you realize real quick, I don't know a lot of things, I know some things, and so even in addressing mental health, which that even by itself gives a wide array of what that means and is we've talked about anxiety and tonight we're talking about depression and what we're going through and, and what we've realized is that the Bible is filled with stories and experiences of people who are followers of God that have battled these same things that have gone through these same things of anxiety of worry or depression the Bible is filled with prayers of people who have gone through depression and darkness and in a lot of these prayers we see them through the Psalms I love the Psalms uh, what you see is a lot of these prayers end with hope they end on a high note. But there's two in the psalm specifically that don't. Psalm 39 and Psalm 88. And so I'm going to apologize in advance because we get to go through Psalm 88 together tonight. One of the prayers that doesn't end in hope. And I think it's really intentional why it was left in Scripture. I think God has a word for us through it tonight. Again, even the idea of like what causes depression the National like, Institute of Mental Health will even say, like, depression, the causes of depression are so complex that it's so hard to just even point or even figure out what actually causes this thing. It could be anything from genetic or psychological, environmental, biological. Like, there's so many complex causes of what brings about depression. And because of that, there's also a lot of, I think, complex ways that we go through, fight through, and, and figure out what it looks like to leave to live with depression or get out of it. And one of those ways is spiritual. One of those ways, we look at the word of God and we say, okay, God, what do you say about this thing? So we're gonna go through Psalm 88 together. And before I do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Bring clarity where there needs to be clarity in this, in this space and, and with this topic. God, where there might be confusion or chaos, would you just destroy that and knock that down? where the enemy wants to try to even confuse and, and bring destruction here in this moment, uh, we cancel those plans. And Holy Spirit, we, we follow your guidance in this reality. Bring 
maybe words and moments for some of us where we've experienced this. Bring encouragement to all of us, remembering who you are and what you ask of us. And in this, we ask that you would help us through the power of your spirit be obedient just to what you're asking us to do right now and to take that next step of obedience and everything be praised, be honored, and be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Psalm 88. I'm gonna read this. It says this, verse one, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. Verse six, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your tears and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your tears have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor darkness is my closest friend. Point number one of what the psalm brings out about depression is that depression does not discriminate. Just like, I don't know if you got any Hamilton fans in here, just like death, like death did not discriminate between the sinners and the day. Like, just like death, depression doesn't discriminate. And it's, what I'm not saying is that every single person in here is gonna go through depression. <laughs> like, don't receive that. But depression doesn't discriminate. I think there has been a myth um, that, that we have spoken about in the church. And I actually think what conversations around mental health, around anxiety, and around depression, I think are actually going in a really positive way. I would argue even in the last five, 10 years, especially more so about anxiety than depression, that we're starting to have more conversations. We're starting to not make black and white statements about it. But for a long time, if someone would talk about having anxiety uh, or depression, there'd be this stigma. Again, I think we've, we've come a long way. We still have a long way to go, but it's changed a little bit. And some of the stigma around it was, well, if you're just obedient enough, if you're holy enough, if you have enough faith, if you just trust enough, if you repent, you, you can't go through depression. Like, you can't be depressed. You won't experience this. And that's just not reality. That is not truth. What we see here is a psalmist who was a believer, who was a follower of God. If you look at the top of the Psalms, most of them explain and, and t are titled with who wrote it. And this one, Psalm 88 says, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the director of music, according to Mahalath, uh, Lianath, a masculine of Heman the Ezraite. Heman wrote this psalm. Heman was one who was chosen by David, king of Israel, to be the leader of temple worship. You're going to tell me that the leader of temple worship wasn't a believer? Wasn't a follower of God? He was. There are 40, oh, I think 40, there's a lot of psalms that Heman wrote that are in the word that have brought celebration and joy to thousands of Christians. Words that he had penned and powered by the spirit of what he has believed and has experienced. 
This guy loved God. He loved Yahweh. He pointed people to him. And so I think it's a line of myth to say that if you're a Christian, you shouldn't experience depression. Because this psalm gives us a clear indication of someone who loved God, but who was going through it. See how it ends? Darkness is my closest friend, not with hope, not with a, I know you will answer me like a lot of the Psalms. I know you hear me. He even just says at the beginning, he's like, why we know he's a believer. Lord, you are the one who saves me. Day and night, I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. A lot of the Psalms will say, I know my prayer will come before you. I know you will answer me. He's in a season right now where he doesn't know if his prayers are even getting to God. And he doesn't end with hope. He ends with darkness. And there's something about darkness I want to explain. And I'm going to interchange probably too much this idea of darkness and depression. There are two kinds of darkness. There's an out, three times darkness is said in Psalm 88. There's an outer darkness where we experience circumstantial and external things that are just awful. Right? Maybe it's, maybe it's a diagnosis, a cancer diagnosis you weren't expecting between you or a family member. Maybe it's a breakup of a, like, there are things we go through in life that we could chalk up as darkness. And then there's internal darkness. And that, I believe, is depression. It's abandonment. And sometimes outer darkness causes internal darkness. Sometimes outside, things can go be, be going great, and you still have internal darkness. So the causes of depression are really hard to point out and figure out. But it's, unfortunately, something we still will go through. And that's okay. And so what is happening with this psalter, this psalmist, is he is having an outer experience of darkness. Friends are dying. They're leaving him. He says they find him repulsive. But then he also has an inner darkness. Why won't you answer my cry? I feel alone. I feel abandoned. Where are you? We don't know what he's going through exactly, but we know that he's going through it. Something. He's praying, Lord, you are the God who saves I cry out to, and the prayer ends in darkness. Here's the point. This is, in my opinion, I don't know how y'all are going to interpret or, or receive this. This is the, the like, lowest point of the message. The teaching is this. You can be a Christian. You can be a follower of Jesus and be praying and reading the Bible and going to church and still experience depression. But there's a mercy here that I don't want us to miss. There's a reason this is in the scripture. There's a reason that this is here. Oh, I'm going to lose time. Sorry, Brennan. If you guys want to talk to me about this message, come talk to me. I got to skip this point. There's Renus here. I'm going to get to that point. But there's a mercy here. What's beautiful about the Psalms, I think it's the greatest piece of art and literature that's ever been created. Because it gives us this huge, vast array of emotion and experience that nothing else does. There's a realism to Christianity and following to God that this Psalm brings to light. And that, to me, is an aspect of mercy. To realize and recognize that the Bible speaks of reality. Not only in the depths and the sorrows and the pain and despair and depression, but also in the truth. But also, and okay, what, am I, what, it, what does the Bible say about going through these seasons and these moments? The second thing, and I'll get to that. Don't worry, I'm not going to just stop. The second thing that we see in the psalm is that darkness can make us do and say desperate stuff. Like darkness about just brings about a desperation in our soul that not a lot of other things do. Depression is just, it's like that. Because a lot of the times there's things and thoughts and feelings that we have no control over. 
And because that's the case, we tend to do some desperate stuff. And so one of the things that the psalmist here did that was desperate is you look at this prayer, and, we, and the way I read it, um, it's not even really a prayer. It's more of an interrogation. If you look at some of the questions he's asking, what he's doing, he's asking rhetorical and sarcastic questions. Look at verse 10. Uh, it says, do you show your wonders to the dead? He knows that's not possible. Why? Because they're dead. Right? He says, do their spirits rise up and praise you? He hadn't seen resurrection. Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Like, he's, he's angry. These are questions he knows the answers to. And here's ultimately what he's getting at. In verse 9, or, or right at the end of verse 9, what he says right before these questions, he says, I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread up my hands to you. He's saying, I call to you. I want to share your goodness to the world. But the fact that I'm experiencing this darkness and this depression, this pit that I feel like is death, I can't do it. And he says, if I die, can I go and share your goodness and your love? How can I be faithful if my life ends? Because that's where I feel like I'm going. And so he's asking these questions rhetorically. Some would even argue and say that the way he most likely was going about writing this psalm was a way to say to God, answer me. And not in a respectful like, hey, I wonder what you think about this. In a disrespectful tone that unfortunately my daughter sometimes comes to me because she's just like her father. And she says, I need to know this now. I don't care who you are. Tell me. That's the tone. Depression can make us do and say some desperate things. Even later in the psalm, in verse 15, he says, from my youth I suffered. What depression can do and what despair can do is it can force us to see our entire life only through the lens of what we're experiencing in the moment. Again, this is a guy who was chosen to basically lead temple worship in David's reign. Darkness and depression, depression and suffering wasn't his whole life. But sometimes when we're in it, that's all we know. And so it makes us say and do some desperate, uh, desperate things. Look at the last line. Darkness is my closest friend. In this, what he's expressing to God, he's saying, God, darkness, the despair, the depression is a closer friend than you are right now. This darkness is more of a comfort than you are right now. I actually want this darkness more than I want you right now. As a pastor, I would never advise saying that to God. But maybe I'm wrong because it's here in the word. There's something about depression that leads us to say and do desperate things. What he's saying and praying here is aggressive. It's heavy. It's big. Like if, if you were to hear someone pray this out loud and they were honest and real and saying it to God, I know for me, before three years ago, two years ago, I would have thought, that person's struggling bad. Like, they need a lot of help. And really what is happening here is it's the only way he knows how to pray in the moment. It's the only way he knows how to cry out. And I think a lot of times I read this and, and we see this tone and we see, like, his motive in his heart of, like, yelling at God, frustrated at God, desiring, actually, darkness because he feels like darkness is, the depression is more of a comfort than God is in the moment. You look at this and it's easy to think, like, what do we do with this? Like, what are we supposed to do with a psalm like this? There's an Old Testament scholar who's way smarter than I am who says it like this in his interpretation. He says, is he sees scripture like this in Psalm 39. 
He says this, his name is David Kidner, or Derek Kidner. He says, the very presence of these prayers in scripture is a witness to God's understanding. God knows how men speak when they are desperate. Here's what this means. The very fact that God put this in the Bible is telling us it's an invitation that he can handle what we can say. He's saying, I know you're going through it. And not just you're going through it. I know that because desperation can cause you to say and do desperate things, I am still your God. He's not a God who would look at these words and think, I don't want that in scripture. I don't want people to think that they can talk to me like this. He's a God of grace and of mercy and of love. Who says, I'm for you. Who says, I love you. And says, not even, even it, like, if you talk like this to me, I am there. He's like, it's not just a, it's okay if you do it. He's like, in an invitation to express openly the frustration and reality of what we're experiencing. And in the midst of that, even when we don't feel it, what he's saying is, I am here. The presence of this psalm in scripture is an invitation for us to go to God and to recognize and hopefully understand and know that he is here, that he is a God of grace. Um, In this, there's a reality that there's nothing too big or too bad that we can experience that we can't one bring to God and cry out to him in the moment. Which is the third thing that I see is in the darkness, we still need the disciplines. And not discipline, but the disciplines. So not only just prayer, but there's also something really, really beautiful uh, and I think important about Christian fellowship. The discipline of getting around with people who love Jesus, know him, and know you. It's why we push small groups and growth groups as much as we do. Our, our faith is not an individualistic one. It's a communal one where we need each other. We are created to be in relationship first with God and then with each other. So in the darkness and in the depression, we still need the disciplines. Um, this prayer is one that is, reminds me of Job, the story of Job. In Job, what we have um, is Satan, the enemy, going into the court, uh, into heaven, and into literally God's house, and coming to God and basically giving giving him an argument, or or, or coming and accusing him. What he's saying is that there's people on earth, this is very, very paraphrased, Uh, he's saying there's no one on earth who serves you loyally, and God says, well, have you seen my servant Job? And then... Basically what's happening is Satan accuses Job of using God. He says, yeah, but if you take all the things that you've given Job, his wife, his family, his lands, the good things that he's experienced, that's the only reason that he continues to praise you and give you glory. Take those away, and Satan says, and he will curse you. And so we get this story of like 40-some chapters of God taking, actually the enemy, of God giving permission to Satan to take these things away. And Job experiences death and despair and depression. And he has friends around him who are giving him awful and terrible advice. And what what we get at the very end of Job, as we go through it, we get prayers just like Psalm 88. And at the very end of, of, of Job in chapter 42, God is there and he looks at Job's friends who have given him terrible advice, who have told Job to curse God. And he says to them, Job has honored me and you haven't. He literally tells them, you need to have Job pray for you because Job honored me and you didn't. And says, Job prayed for his friends. So you think about that. You look through Job and you see these prayers 
of anger, of complaining, of frustration, nothing that gives praise to God, nothing that talks about God's faithfulness. And at the very end of it, God says, you honored me. Why? Because even in Job's depression and in his darkness, he prayed. It wasn't just that he was complaining and he was frustrated and it was hard as he was doing it to God. He had bad friends who were giving him terrible advice. But he was still praying. Even it was hard. Even when he didn't know what to pray. He was still trying to use and, and, and speak to God with everything that he was feeling. I think a lot of times, for me, I have, um, and it's a battle that I have on my own, where I needed to like make sure all my words make sense and are good and are like, oh, does this bring God honor and glory and like overthink how I actually pray and talk to God versus talking to him like I would talk to a friend. And so in that, what I do is I suppress the reality of what's really happening sometimes in my life and I'm not honest, even though he knows what's happening. What he's saying here, I don't care, what, I don't care, I care what you're going through. Just be honest with me. Scream, yell, pray, complain, be angry, be frustrated, but don't forget the discipline of just going to him. Uh, two years ago, I had an experience with, caused by a situation, uh, it was it's diagnosed as situational depression that I went through for about three months. Um, we went on a spring break trip to Southern Texas and it was a good trip, but it was also in the week of like where COVID was happening and campuses were shutting down and like, we're wondering like, are we going to make it back? Is the flight going to get canceled? Are you guys going to have school? Like when, when we get back and, and all these things were happening. So we're going through the week and one of the students got really sick and we kind of saw like in my mind, like I'm the, I'm the pastor of this group. Like I'm, I'm the, their leader. I'm, I'm their, they're, they're literally like they're I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Um, I, I want to say parent, but that's so aggressive and weird. Uh, that's how I felt a little bit. And, and he's getting really sick. And, and Friday was, was here. We were leaving on Friday. And I had a conversation with him the night before. And, and, and I thought he could make it to the next day and, and be able to fly home. And he got worse on Friday. And it's like, I talked to him Friday. He's like, hey, dude, like, let, can we take you in? Let's take you in. He's like, no, I just want to get home, which I didn't blame him. He's sick. He's like, let's just get home. Um, and... Then as the day progressed, he got worse and we ended up having to take him to the ER and uh, Brendan was with and did an incredible job of getting the rest of the team to the airport and, and fly back home and I ended up staying overnight uh, with this student. Uh, and what ended up happening is he had a, a brain infection uh, and he was wrestling with it all week. And so I stay overnight, I wait for his parents to come and then I start to fly home and, and the moment I left the hospital on the, on, in the car ride to the, to the airport, I started wrestling with, did I make the right decision? And every single day for the next about three and a half weeks, I had hours of battle with thoughts and feelings in my own soul where I had made the wrong decision, where I didn't do enough. The choices I made nearly killed this kid. He's alive, he's well, there's hope, like he's doing incredible, but I struggle. And that event caused me to go into a depression and I didn't know what to do. And so I thought, well, like, I I'm a pastor. I'll just pray. And so I just sit. And every morning for three hours, I would go in battle. And I would try to negate the negative thoughts in my head about 
the lies that were just present there and was just by myself in this. And all of a sudden, over uh, uh, these weeks, I started to not believe what I had believed for 13 years following Jesus. All of a sudden, the simple truths of what I knew intellectually in my head of what the Bible says started to become hard to really believe that they're actually true. I started to feel abandoned, to feel alone, to feel like God wasn't present, not even in the situation and the choices I made when we were in Southern Texas, but also in the moment in my living room, in my prayer. What I had always believed, I struggled to believe. And then one day finally came where I took my own advice uh, and I actually called a friend. <laughs> I said, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And I went and I talked to him and it was a good conversation. The depression didn't go away. The feeling of abandonment didn't go away. But there was something encouraging about knowing someone who I loved, who loved Jesus, who was for me, was gonna continue to pray for me. Who knew in a moment when I was struggling in those mornings of battling these feelings and emotions that I couldn't control and thoughts I couldn't control, the sadness that was overwhelming, I could just say, hey, I'm doing it again. And after the conversation, a few days had passed, and the depression didn't get better. I still felt like I felt. But I got into this moment where I thought, as a pastor, I wrestled with the question, can I continue to be a pastor and not believe anymore what I want to believe. And I surrendered and I prayed and I said, God, I will continue to serve. I'll continue to love my neighbor. I'll continue to go to church. I'll continue to point people to you even if the feelings don't come back. Even if the belief I struggle with my entire life. What's happening here is when he's saying, even in the psalm, darkness is my closest friend, he's saying it to God. And I wish I could tell you that when I prayed that prayer, like I said, I'm gonna still serve you even when it doesn't feel right. When the beliefs and I'm struggling with this scene, even if they don't come back, I wish I could say I was great. (laughs) Even the next week I could say like things went better. It took months and not just in praying, months of getting holistically healthy for me to get out of the depressive state that I was in. I talked to counselors. I started eating right, started getting better sleep, started exercising. There was a holistic approach that I took to try to get healthy. And for me, that's what worked. But the biggest thing that I knew I had to keep doing in the midst of all the other things I did was even if the belief never came back, I was gonna continue to pray. I was gonna continue to try to seek God's face even when it was difficult, even when it was hard. Because I believe that in our depression, when we pray, Satan is defeated. It doesn't mean the situation will change. It doesn't mean necessarily the depression will go away. But I believe that eventually depression will be defeated. And hear me on this. Here's how I know this. Here's why I believe this. Um, One, we, we have a savior in Jesus who has experienced the utter darkness and depression that some of us, if not most of us, will have or are going through. In Matthew 27, you see it's the story of Jesus dying, giving up his last breath, and being crucified. The two psalms that don't end in hope end in darkness, Psalm 88, and then Psalm 39 ends in a way where it says God turned his face away from the psalmist. Look at Matthew 27, and it reads this. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land, Psalm 88. After three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 39. 
At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Jesus gets this utter and total darkness that this psalmist is experiencing that some of us have, are, or will experience. Jesus received God's wrath for us and was abandoned by everyone around him. The disciples had left, people had left, and God, his father, had turned his face away. Jesus understood what it meant that darkness was his only friend the moment he died and took the sin of the world and and the wrath of God on his shoulders on the cross. Jesus took upon himself darkness as his only friend so that when we are experiencing our own depression and darkness, we know when we believe in him, he is our friend. Jesus was truly abandoned that we would only feel it but never actually be it. And how do I know this? In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus sweats blood because he comes to an understanding that he's going to die. He's going to his death and he knows what that means. He knew he was gonna experience a separation of God, from God for the first time in his life when he took the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders. And yet he still chose to go to the cross. I know God will not abandon you in your depression or your darkness because God and Jesus did not abandon you in his darkness. And because he didn't abandon you in his darkness, he will not abandon you in yours. And that is reality. And why do I know and believe depression will be defeated? Go back to a question that he asked. He says this, do the dead raise up and praise you? Those of us who believe in Jesus can say yes to that question and we can hold on to that, that we will be raised that what we experience now is not the end. When we believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the answer is yes, you will rise up. As the team comes up, we're gonna continue and end in worship tonight. And I'm gonna end in a a paragraph, and not a paragraph, a a commentary of this psalm from another Old Testament scholar. Um, Ultimately, even in this, what I I desire for, for what to come across or what to believe is, this has been my experience with depression. My experience and and what I see in Psalm 88, that doesn't mean that it is or has been or will be your experience. Some of you know, as I read Psalm 88, you felt that before, or maybe are feeling it now. You relate to those words. You don't need them explained because they're real. And maybe what I shared or what I've experienced is different than what you have, and that's okay. I think in all of this, what it is is an invitation to not walk in it alone. To, yes, pursue crying out to God because there's no issue or situation too big or bad that we can't cry out to God. To be able to say literally whatever we are experiencing and feeling in the moment because it's not just that God can't handle it as he desires for you to come to him with everything that's going on in your life. But it's also to say that as you do these things, no one understand depression just isn't that simple to figure out or understand. Like Jana said in their video, that was the best part of the whole night. There's a reality that some of these things are connected. Software and hardware and the way we explain it and that metaphor that's used. Sometimes it's not that simple. So if you've cried out to God, if you've gone to community, as you continue to pursue prayer and, 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 and going to church, Maybe some of you tried to open your Bible and you can't and you continue to still feel alone and abandoned. I think that's the time maybe you should set up an appointment and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. 
you haven't lost value or worth. You are not unlovable. Sometimes there's just a lot of different things that we have to do and ways to get help that God has invited us to get. I'm gonna say this one last commentary about depression and darkness and then we'll, uh, we'll pray and we'll, I'll, um, we'll worship. Would you stand, please? This is from Michael Wilcock, his commentary on Psalms. This darkness can happen to a believer, this psalm says. It doesn't mean you're lost. This darkness can happen to someone who doesn't deserve it. After all, it happened to Jesus. This doesn't mean that you've strayed. This darkness can happen at any time, as long as the world lasts, because only in the next world will such things be done away with. This darkness can happen without you knowing why, but there are answers, there is a purpose, and eventually you will know it. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you that there is no experience, emotion, feeling, or thing that we go through that your word doesn't give some sort of help in and encouragement in. Tonight, those um, who are in this room, there are some who, who know this despair and this depression and this darkness, who have gone through it, who are going through it. And God, I'd ask for those experiencing it now, man, would you make your presence just completely known? Help them in any way possible, whether through a friend, through someone who, who is up here willing and, and ready to pray for them at the end of service, through a counselor, to know that you haven't abandoned them. Thank you for that truth. We cry out to you now in good and bad with every experience and emotion we have knowing you here, knowing you are for us, knowing you have not left us. We love you, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.